Welcome to Opening the Heart Podcast. I'm your guide, Julie Stratton. Opening the Heart is a platform for telling our stories straight from our hearts. No filters, no BS, and no being fake. What you will hear are stories from our journeys to being our most authentic selves. Today's show is the next in the series that I am calling Living Out Loud. And I dedicate this episode of Living Out Loud to the North Idaho Pride Alliance and to the LGBTQ plus community. I am super excited to welcome Kai Van Keith, who is um, one of my favorite people actually on this planet, even though I don't see her very often, um, her truly living out her truth and living from her heart in a wholehearted way is always attracted me. You have a lot of magnetism, Kai, so I appreciate that. Um, it's <laughs> funny because you and I talked about doing a podcast back in 2016. And I know mm -hmm. this date because, or this year, because I went back through and was cleaning up my computer and found clips that we were practicing when we were sitting in calypsos <laughs> and it was like hey we're da -da -da, and we would just go on and talk and i bought a microphone four years ago mm -hmm. for this very specific special thing and it's at in my cabinet for the last four years so it is out <laughs> i am using it and i think it's more than appropriate that you are a part of this first series uh, that I'm entitling Living Out Loud. It's a special series for the North Idaho Pride Alliance that we're doing for our virtual Pride Month. And so, um, yeah, I, we were just talking before going live, and I, it was about seven years ago, six or seven years ago, that we met because of PFLAG and doing the work of PFLAG here in our community and creating supportive safe spaces for folks to come out into. And I know that's something that is been very important to you is just creating those spaces as well in your own home and in your own life. Um, so welcome, oh. welcome to the show. Wow, thanks. Yeah, no, it's um, it's super cool. It's super cool to be uh, be on here after four years of planning. <laughs> That's about how my plans work too. Right. Uh, <laughs> I know. And you're from North Idaho, isn't that right? I am, yeah. I have lived here for almost my entire life. I wow. moved to Wisconsin for about a year, but other than that, no. You're an Idahoan. I am an Idahoan. And what was it? What okay. was it like growing up here, um, and just kind of figuring out who you are in your identity? Well, <laughs> for me, I think I don't know. I was actually, I was actually thinking about this not all that long ago. I think my experience was, uh, I would honestly say more confusing than anything else. I think that would be the, the over, the overarching kind of theme of like my journey with my personal queer identity has just sort of been like this constant sense of confusion. Um, <laughs> Like, it definitely started when I was younger because this area is pretty closed off, right, to ideas that have been around since, I, I, I assume, past about 1985. Anything past that threshold, and Idaho has no idea what's going on. Yeah, so it took me a long time 
to even learn like the words or the language or like to grasp the concepts uh, that I needed to understand to understand why I felt the way I felt and what you know like why I was the way I was. And how 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 would you identify today? What let's start there. Yeah. What is your identity? Sure. So I identify as a non-binary trans woman. Tell me more about what that experience is in your body, in your mind. So I I've been dealing with this for years since I was like really young, right? Mm-hmm. But it was all very very physical. Um, it really wasn't linked to a lot, like, it really wasn't linked to, like, my identity. It was really just this very physical sense. So that's kind of been a huge, a huge part of, like, shaping, like, my experience with gender. And my experience with, like, I don't know, all of that is, um, identity was almost a thing that just sort of happened after I uh after it was just kind of like I guess I qualify for this identity because I am these certain ways and I like physically want to present myself in these certain ways that makes sense Mm -hmm. and you mentioned the word dysphoria can you explain that term what that means it's essentially distress caused by an incongruency between your Identity, the way you perceive yourself or an aspect of yourself to be, whether it's physically or like socially. So when you're what what you see in the mirror and mm-hmm. what you believe yourself to be and who you are don't even come close and match. Is that an accurate description? Right. It's essentially when you perceive something about yourself or the way that you. Sh- or something about yourself, whether it's like physically or like where you are, like socially, like in relation to other people or how you're viewed by, I guess, the greater society at large that you have to interact with. And there's an incongruency between that and the way you actually feel you are or should be perceived as. Okay. If that makes sense. Uh huh. And that's kind of the way I see it. And when we talk about gender identity, that's different mm-hmm. than when we talk about just our biological sex or our gender expression, right? Right. Right, because gender identity is, well, it's an, it's an identity. It's a socially constructed identity. It's something that we agree on, <laughs> which is, you know, it's completely separate from biology or from, you know, however you want to personally present yourself. It's all different things. (laughs) Right. Gender is socially constructed. And so we're so used to seeing or hearing, well, girls do this and boys do this. And but like whoever said that, whoever said boys, you know, played with trucks and were better athletes and and wore blue and girls had to play with dolls. And but somebody said that along the way. And so that's the construct. Yeah, like somebody says one thing, another person says another thing, and, you know, someone agrees on it and makes fun of someone for acting differently or, you know, mm-hmm. something like that, and all of a sudden it's become a cultural norm. Right. You know? I mean, like, the only reason that, like, these, like, kind of plain, sort of just utilitarian sort of suits are, like, really common as, like, the masculine dress attire is because there's, like, one noble guy who just decided that 
everybody else was just a big weirdo for being all flashy, so he started dressing all boring and just was so snarky about it that everybody else was like, oh, man, maybe he's right. And it, like, totally changed the course of things. But, like, how we perceive, like, masculine clothes. It's wild. Like... Mm-hmm. Just that small you know? change in, in a culture. And... and yeah how we are changing culture again by allowing people, the more educated I think our, our world is and certainly our own community around gender identity and gender expression, the more open we can allow people to express themselves and be not just this, you know, we have to follow this particular way of, of dressing or being or, and and somewhere though that shifts because uh, it's always been really easy to be a tomboy. I mean, girls can get away Mm -hmm. with being a tomboy, right. And doing masculine things and playing, you know, scuffing up their knees, but boys, it's a whole different ball game when they show their feminine mm-hmm. energy or their feminine side and they want to, you know, wear makeup or wear dresses or change some of those right. other external things. It's a whole different ball game. Right. And hopefully our culture very, very slowly is shifting one group at a time, one small nucleus of accepting people, and that'll create mm-hmm. a ripple effect. Because it's complicated. And, you know, it's one thing to talk about just, like, oh, boys do this, girls do that, whatever. You know, as far as, like, the way these things are prescribed. But then I think it's also important to remember that, like, there's so much, there's so many other, like, concepts that have kind of arisen because those things are the way they are or are opposed the way that they are opposed, the way that they're set up to be. Like, for example, exactly what you're saying it's definitely rooted in misogyny. It's definitely rooted in the idea of feminine things being less valuable or less worthwhile, essentially, worse than masculine things. And so, you know, it's totally different culturally if someone who is male or a boy, mm-hmm. you know, does feminine things or, you know, then vice versa. So, mm-hmm. Part of the culture shift is around language. And how do we create a common language to have a conversation? And why, you know, I I hear people in different settings and when I do teaching and training and things like that. Well, why do we have to label? Why do we have to have labels? Because I treat everybody the same. Why do we have to, you know, pigeonhole somebody here or there? And what I found was that the language that we have around gender and sexuality, it gives a platform and a starting place to have a dialogue. Mm. But it also, as a queer person, for me personally, and this evolved since I've met you, my gosh, how how Mm -hmm. has it evolved since I've met you in my own gender identity? Once I started to have a language around gender, my mind was blown and I could put aside some of the stories I told about myself. For instance, being able Mm -hmm. to claim the um, term you know, gender queer or non-binary to describe myself. I now have a concrete word that makes sense to me out of something that didn't make sense for the longest time, other than I truly felt 
like I was a freak. I was bullied. I was told you were this, you were that. Why are you this? Right. Why are you that? And all of a sudden now I have a word that makes sense to me. And mm-hmm. that's where the language piece has made all the difference in the world and in the work that we do. Um, mm-hmm. just helping educate people around language. And we also know language is ever evolving and shifting. And just like the, the term queer 30 years ago was a horrible word. It probably was 20 years ago, but certainly 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, nobody used that word except to hurt people. Well, there was some people that have consistently used it. But, yes, it was absolutely useless as a slur. But I do think it is worth pointing out that queer, since it's, like, beginning to be used as referring to LGBT people, has always been used by at least some LGBT people to describe ourselves. I think that's really important, because I only recently learned about that. No, that is a good point, that there is still... There is consistency, even though there's an ebb and flow and a shifting of the language. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's, but it, it has absolutely been weaponized. And by taking that word and saying, no, you, for me, the term queer is just this open, like, you can't put my identity in some nice, neat little checkbox. Like, it's, it's on the spectrum, mm-hmm. the LGBTQ plus spectrum. And so that's how, it's that umbrella term that encompasses right. a really vast, vast spectrum of gender and sexuality. And that's one of the things I love about the term. Mm-hmm. No, that's my honestly my favorite thing about it is that it, its meaning is so broad mm-hmm. that you don't you don't have to worry about the specific things in there. Like those for the sake of like I don't know. There's I think that I feel like there's still kind of something a little bit radical, kind of associated with queer, with like being queer and with queerness, mm-hmm. which is kind of nice to step into. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like I don't know, you just like you feel like you have I don't know the way that I've kind of felt about it in the past few years is it sort of feels like a common, like a commonality. Like I see a person who identifies as queer. I feel that sort of camaraderie because it's like almost a specific way of kind of being, you know? Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. One other term that I've been questioned about, and I think you are a much better person to answer this is asexual. What does that mean? And then there's something called the ace spectrum and shades of ace. I'm wondering if you could speak to that to help educate our listeners. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, it's something that is, I mean, it's pretty simple at face value. Um, asexuality, um, it's a sexuality that's defined as uh, a lack of sexual attraction toward just period, actually, just towards anybody. Um, asexuality just denotes not having any attraction sexually to any other person. Um, it's different than celibacy. And celibacy is you refraining from doing a certain action, whereas being asexual or ace, it's referred to for short, it's just a way of being. You know, it's the difference between not eating something because you're on a diet and not eating something because you're not hungry. And so, I mean, uh, I think sometimes there's a misconception that uh, people who are asexual or on the a- or, or who are ace aren't in relationships. They're not in loving, committed, kind hearted, you know, they have a partner and because sex is not love. Sex is not attraction and sex is not romance. Is that accurate? Right. Yeah. I would say that's, yeah, that's definitely accurate. Um, 
I, there's a lot of these people who are in relationships. Um, and that's, I think, where it is important to talk about the age spectrum. Because you do have people who, like, say, demisexual, who only experience sexual attraction once they form, like, a strong emotional connection with another person. Like, they literally don't feel that attraction until that point, you know? Um, or you have, like, this kind of weird little gray area called gray asexuals. And that's kind of where I sit, where it's uh, generally don't experience sexual attraction, usually unless it's under a very specific circumstance or it's so infrequently that it's notable, essentially. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so, like, not only does it, are there all these, you know, sort of shades of gray in the whole thing, but then there's also, you have to remember that asexual people, even people with absolutely no sexual attraction to anybody, can still have sex, and they can still enjoy sex. And it can be consensual. Um, they just might not do it for exactly the same reasons, you know, that people with that specific attraction might do it. You know, they might do it to please a partner, or just because, I mean, they might just enjoy it. But uh, that's the whole thing. And there's also the difference right, that you pointed out between romantic attraction and sexual attraction. And I think it's really common now, nowadays at least, it's pretty common for people to separate the idea of sex and love and or romance in that, you know, like people are fine with having like one night stands or whatever, stuff like that. And they don't need to attach the love component to that. Like it doesn't feel like it comes hand in hand until you try to separate it the other way where you have the romantic aspect and the love, but not the sexual component. And I think that's something people have a hard time wrapping their head around. And then there's the term pansexual, which is, it's not new, but it's fairly new. And there are a lot of folks who, if they're not directly involved in our LGBT community, it's, it's a new term for them. Um, Uh I simply explain it as it's the heart, not the parts meaning it doesn't matter what biological sex somebody is, it's an attraction to who that person is. Right. Yeah. How would you define it? How would you define it? (laughs) Well, I think that's generally, it's interesting because it wasn't too long ago that I learned that pansexual actually is a bit controversial as as an identity. Um, which I didn't know, and it's from people who, well, it's from bisexual people who for a long time have felt that bisexuality, as it was originally defined, is essentially covered. Like, it covers everything that pansexuality is supposed to cover, and so there's this idea that some people have that pansexuality, it's sort of like creating an identity that serves the same purpose, but distances yourself a label that has some stigma attached to it. So I, I like I said, I only recently learned that. I thought that was really interesting because my understanding of it has been kind of like what you're saying there, where the difference would really be pretty marginal. I mean, it really would be the idea of gender mattering versus gender not mattering. Mm-hmm. So I think like the two labels broadly overlap. I think most people who identify as one would be able to identify as the other if they so desire. Mm-hmm. Well, and so it's like it's a bad overlap, but the distinction is important to some people, so that's fine. Bisexuality, uh, to me, also implies the binary. 
there's an either or right and there's right. not well and, and and there's not a lot in the middle and, and pansexuality implies that there is a spectrum and everything in the middle right right well and that's that's a lot of people's perception and from what i've heard from because again i'm not i'm not bisexual and i i don't you know, want to speak for any bisexual people i've talked to some folks about this who are by, um, you know, about like by history and stuff. And I just thought it was wildly interesting. But I, I guess the idea behind that is that it's not so much the bi doesn't necessarily refer to the gender binary, as in attracted to male and female, so much as it's in us being attracted to the same and the other is how I've heard that put. But like, if I was a bisexual woman, I would be attracted to women, but also potentially anyone else that doesn't fall into the category of women. So it's kind of, it's sort of a weird semantic thing, but all the labels mm. and labeling stuff sort of is anyway. So. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. And, and I mean, this is a great conversation because this is the muddy water of discussing gender and sexuality in a very evolving culture. I think right. what... The last thing I I really want to say about the labels and terms and things like that is always, always remember it is for the individual to grab what term works for them. It's never for anyone else to put a label on somebody else. It's for our own use and who we are and helping identify and empower and strengthen our own identity in our own heart. That's what we use them for. It's not to say, well, you do this, so you must be this. That's not okay. Right. And especially not okay for allies to put those terms on other folks that they think they know. And like you said, I identify as a lesbian. I'm not a bisexual. I'm never going to speak for bisexuals um, or pansexuals right. or asexuals. Um, I love having these conversations because I'm always um, intrigued and something new is always revealed around how, how folks identify and how to be most respectful. And what mm-hmm. I've found is the way to be most respectful, if I'm not sure, is simply to ask. If it's relevant. If it's not relevant, then there's no reason to ask. Well, right. And I think that's something that a lot of folks, I don't know, I feel like uh, they simultaneously think too much and not enough about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think they, they don't realize, like... <laughs> It's just like tertiary to most things, like biological, biological sex, let alone gender, but like either sex or gender has to do with like almost anything. Like, it's really not a whole lot of stuff. It depends, I mean, like, if I'm going to the store, aside from like what someone's going to say, if they're going to say like NAM or soda at the register. It doesn't really affect me whether I identify as a non-binary lady or a binary trans lady. Like, it doesn't impact me. Well, and I also, like, I also have to stop myself. I do have to stop myself and remind myself that, like, I for sure have passing privilege, Mm -hmm. um, which is probably the only reason that I've had why my experience, like I said at the beginning, was more defined by confusion over things rather than by, like, fear. Mm-hmm. Because I think if I uh, if I had to be confronted with my transness every day when I left the house in the place where I live, I'd have a much more stressful life. 
And so, like, I always try to keep in mind that I, that I don't. And that's just not something I have to deal with. And so I have the option to not talk about that stuff mm-hmm. and to not engage with that. It's a very good point. Well, my friend, thank you. Um, I will say I, I so appreciate you and your willingness to continue to be out in the community. Um, we have now, I think for six years, I think this will be our seventh year, six or seventh year of doing the Transgender Day of Remembrance in November. And every year you have yeah. participated at some level and the last several have been one of the key organizers and, and performers and speakers. And um, that is a gift you give to the North Idaho Pride Alliance. And it's a gift that you give to your community. And some years we don't have very many people show up, but the people that show up are the people that needed to be there. And so I'm, I'm okay with that. And other years we have people standing. And I remember one year our mayor came, um, with Uh his wife and that was really wonderful. Um, and showing his support, but it is every year. Some, we see some of the same people and those are the people that need to be there. And we, in inevitably we touch people in a way that they need to, um, feel supported. And so thank you for continuing that service to our LGBT community, in particular, the transgender community in North Idaho. And as you well know, it is not a very easy place to exist sometimes. And we're there to help folks come out. We're there to help folks feel supported and safe as much as we possibly can. I know we could, we can all do a better job of that, but we do what we, what we can with what we have. And, um, we just keep, keep showing up. And so I, I really respect you and thank you for continuing to show up and for being a guest on opening the heart podcast and living out loud as you have always done and you do from your heart. So thank you very much, friend. Well, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, it was a blast. 